0: Welcome to Sunburnt Country Music, interviews with Australian country music artists. My name is Sophie and I have been interviewing Australian country music artists for over a decade and I still love it. I love their stories, I love their insights and I love their music. So I hope you enjoy hearing from them on this podcast. Joe Caisley is a singer, songwriter and multi-instrumentalist from the Southern Highlands of New South Wales. She has recently released her third album, High on Heartstrings, and it's been a big year because she also attended the Academy of Country Music earlier this year. Lots of music this year. Hello, Joe. Hey, Sophie. Thank you so much for having me on your show, which I love. Well, thank thank you, you very much. It's a pleasure <laughs> to have you on the show. And to talk about this album, um, now the title of the album and the first track is High on Heartstrings. I'd say in general the album is high on heart, if that makes sense, because heartstrings sounds like, you know, tugging on the heartstrings, and it does that. But there's a lot of emotion in it, and I actually have found it really moving, um, the whole album, because there's a real sense of you bringing your whole self to it. Does it feel like that when you're making the songs, or are you so in it that it's just a, a question of I want to get these songs out?
1: The first thing you said is exactly what, what it was. Um It did feel like that when I was writing the songs. So um, High on Heartstrings is all about listening to your heart and following your dreams. And I think a lot of the time as women, uh, creative women Mm -hmm. as I am, it can be a really hard road because, you know, I'm married, I have a husband, we have a business that we run together, we have children who need you know my undivided attention that's why i had children mm-hmm. you know was to to go in wholehearted as a mother and be present mm-hmm. in motherhood um so you put all those things together and and what time's left you know for your passion yeah. and you know and for your creativeness which if you don't do it you die inside as a true creative and you know my life was just on that hamster wheel of go 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 from one thing to the next from one thing to the next and um i all of a sudden in the you know when the when the kids were little i had time on my hands when they were little and i used to do a lot of shows <clears throat> in my little village of penrose where i lived then and i would invite artists to come along and some of the artists that come and, came and played at my shows were people like um, Lachlan Bryan, Harry Hookey, Alan Caswell, Bill Chambers you know that was my creative being able to do shows and and connect with people when I was just so isolated mm-hmm. in business motherhood raising kids but I didn't have time to get on the road but I had time to hold these concerts in my home village. When the kids got older I didn't even have time for that I didn't even have time for Prepping a show, marketing, getting people there. I just, I was so underwater with running this mechanics business that we have that became huge that it needed, you know, five days a week, seven days a week. We just work. We're really, we're really hard workers. You know, the trucks start coming in the driveway here at 6 a.m. every day. Wow. Okay. And they're here at my home. So out here, I have trucks and trucks and concrete trucks and diggers and loaders and earth moving equipment. And it is a huge hellhole of a yard out there with stuff that needs fixing. So I was dying inside not being able to create. And I felt like I was losing time, because I wasn't being able to keep my profile up, release music to be all of the things that I wanted to be as a creative but just didn't fit into my lifestyle as a mother Mm -hmm. at the time of of those years. So when I did get time to write a song, Mm -hmm. I went, well, shit, if I'm going to write a song, it's going to be a good song, Mm -hmm. you know, and people are going to be able to connect with this. I have to tell people what I'm feeling and how this is otherwise they'll never know they'll never know what it's like to be a mother in business with your husband struggling to make ends meet feeling like you know you've only got a tiny little straw over the water that you're breathing just to stay alive (laughs) that's what my life (laughs) that's what my life has been like Sophie that's what my life has been like crazy Mm -hmm. would i trade any of it hell no would i ever give up hell no it's shaped me into the person i am you know all those lessons that i've learned um and my husband isn't a creative Mm -hmm. so that's been tough too you know but i wouldn't have any of those songs on that album Mm -hmm. had that not been my story
0: yeah and there is a song called Hard Way to Make a Living on the album, uh, which I think acknowledges uh, part of what you've just talked about. Um, and, and also what you've just said points to the fact that that having creative practice, creative output, it's not just the practice of it, but actually releasing something that can connect to an audience is as essential as breathing in many ways for you and I'm sure for a lot of other artists. Um, but the commitment to stay committed to it can be really challenging. And, and I think that's... That is the practice of it. It's like every day rededicating yourself to this creative path.
1: Correct. And in the lifestyle that I've been living, um, which has been kids first, business first, so there's money on the table to pay the school fees, my music's had to take a bit of a backseat. Um, but, you know, that will change as the kids get older and as life gets easier you know and as we mature and and we're not struggling so much as we were in our earlier years of marriage um and you know i'm really grateful everything has a process and i think in life you just has have to trust the process
2: mm.
1: um i would have loved to have lived my whole complete life as a creative and as a musician and touring and doing music for a living but i wouldn't have a family like i do now because without support mm. and which of which i don't have any um as in you know parents who are willing to take the kids on the weekend when you go off or parents who will help you when you know you're up on stage and I, that just didn't exist in my life so um music had to take a back seat and it and it almost killed me as a creative right but you find the little pockets, you know, and, and you make them worth it. Mm-hmm. So when you do get to write songs and when you do get to release songs, you better make damn straight that those songs are worth listening to. Yeah.
0: You know, they, they, they very much are.
1: Um, you, you're not going to release album fillers. Yeah. That,
0: well, that's right, because it's not, you don't want to waste your time. As an artist, uh, on songs that you're not proud of,
1: we're not here to spider, Sophie. <laughs> it's... You know, yeah, we're being real. We're telling our truth. We're being authentic. We are doing this, mm-hmm. and that's what this album was about.
0: Yeah, I think that really does come across. And I'm also um, interested. I just noted the phrase you said, "trust the process," uh, because I'm quite a believer in the idea of sur- of surrendering to things because. Otherwise, you know, it's a bit scary to do that, but you can expend and actually waste a lot of energy fighting something or finding a reality. Like you could have thought, okay, well, I'm just going to try to push back against everything. I'm really going to try to make the time to do this, that, and the other instead of, as you said, trusting the process, which then, in a sense, frees up that creative energy so that when you have the time, it's this sense of, of flow rather than a jagged line, if that makes sense.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, you can't fight it. And I I see a lot of, you know, younger people fighting it and pushing themselves, you know, I have to do this and I have to do that. And, you know, you can see they're pushing themselves and you can see it plays with their mental health. You actually don't have to do any of that. And, in fact, like I'm a really strong believer because Casey Chambers has been one of my greatest um, role models and she's definitely of the belief that you don't have to do anything. Yeah. There's there's no real rules. <laughs> you know, you really need to just find what works for you. That's that's the right thing, yeah. and and listen to your intuition and listen to your heart and what's right for you and your family and make it work like that. And I think um, pushing against the grain and trying to make something happen when it's just not time. You know is only going to end in in disaster which basically like the album that I did before this Albany mm. if any of your listeners go back and and listen to that I mean I think that is also some of my best work and my best writing on Albany It's a beautiful album, Sophie I, I absolutely love it which is a lot for me to say about my music because I am my greatest critic. And, you know, I spent years cringing, listening to my music, thinking, oh, I would never be able to share that. But it's a beautiful album. But when I came to release it, it was really the wrong time, you know. And um, I was so busy, again, business. I think we're in the middle of moving house and moving business and moving this and doing that. And I was like, I'm going to do my music because I'm a musician and I should have to do, I'm doing it. I'm doing it, God damn it. And um, releasing that album, I got through the launch, which was a beautiful launch um, locally in Bundanoon. I think we had about 200 ticket sales. I had a beautiful band, absolutely loved it. But I'd been getting more and more anxious about ticket sales and people coming. And then I think after that I had Tamworth and I had some beautiful shows booked at Tamworth. Um, I was playing at the Dag and, you know, these lovely places I'd always wanted to play. By the time, time Tamworth came, I I had complete laryngitis. I was completely run down. I was having a little nervous breakdown, not being able to get out of bed going, I just can't do it mm-hmm. because I was asking just way too much of myself Yeah. at the time. At yeah. the time, you know, my kids were young. They really needed me. They wanted to be driven to parties and they wanted, you know, their needs had to come first. Mm. So I just had to take a bit of a back seat, which I did. And, you know, and I think as I get older, the greatest thing I realise is music's always going to be there, Sophie. You know, even when I've got grey hair and I'm 80 years old, I'm still going to be going to country music festivals and folk festivals and playing. I don't care how old I am and I don't think people care either. If you've got good songs and they're worth listening to, people are going to listen.
0: I think that is part of what's great about the genre is that, yeah, the audience doesn't care. They really, I, I've, I've been in town with so many times and seen so many shows and, and it's not like anyone gets up and leaves if the artist changes at the venue and they're like, Oh, I'm not going to listen to 18 year old or 80 year old. It's yes, you're right. It can be any age and, it can be any range of experiences because what the audience wants is authenticity and stories,
1: but, and 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 particularly country music people. Yeah. Country music fans want to know your story, and 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 they can smell bullshit a mile away, <laughs> yeah. and they can see through people who are trying to be something that they're not.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the only thing left is to surrender and to tell your story. That's, you know, that's what people that's what people want and that's what people need and that's what shapes you know our future our our culture our identity is that you know we are recording the lives of people in this day and age that you know in 20 30 100 years they'll they'll listen back to our songs and go wow you know look what mm. it was like back then <laughs> these are important stories to be told
0: yes. absolutely um and uh yeah, you know, as I said, part of part of that surrendering process can be really scary because it does feel like jumping without a net. What I tend to find as an observer, at least, is when artists are prepared to be vulnerable as you have been um, on this album and, and your earlier work. The audience does tend to catch you because they recognise that that you're being vulnerable in order to connect with them and offer them something. But I'm wondering for you as an artist if you do like when you're writing these songs, for example, that are so full of emotion that are really moving, whether there's almost like an intellectual impulse to check yourself because you think, oh, oh no, maybe the song should be a different way, or whether you are now at a stage three albums in where you just you do just trust that process completely when you're writing as well as recording.
1: No. I had a lot of help, Sophie, to get to the point where I could surrender myself and be vulnerable. Um, Naturally, I was very guarded. Naturally, I'm very... uh, I've been doing quite a deep spiritual healing probably for the last... Well, probably since I turned 40, say, and I'm 46 now. So I think these last few years... The person I was six years ago at the end of my last album was pretty much a mess. Right. I had no self-confidence whatsoever. Um, I'd sing because the stage is always my sanctuary and I've always loved singing. And I'd just do it because I loved it. But I never thought that other people liked my music. I never had that sort of confidence in myself. Um, I was a real worrier. Great stress head, huge anxiety, prone to little anxiety, um, you know, attacks, just a real worry wart. And I was a real mess, actually. <laughs> That's gross, isn't it? That's gross. Um, I was asked to do the music for a women's retreat. These la- These women, lady friends of mine, who are very, very good friends of mine, who I've known for probably 20 years, they started doing retreats. Um, It actually wasn't women. It was open to anyone, but it was mostly women who attended. And it was just all about um, self-growth, finding your authenticity, um, letting go of limiting beliefs. Hmm. And all these things I learned, like, I never knew what a limiting belief was. I didn't even know that language existed. Like I didn't know that I had said to myself for so long, "Oh, nobody, nobody likes my music," and that that was a limiting belief. And that I could retrain myself to say, "Actually, my music's very meaningful to a lot of people. There's a place for my music. You know, people love my music, and you know." I think my brain, and I think a lot of artists will understand this because a lot of artists do the same. My brain, if left alone, can go negative very quickly. Has a tendency to go negative, like, oh, you'll never sell enough tickets. Oh, people will never come to the show. Oh, you know, the sound equipment's going to (laughs) fail. i you telling myself all these things, Sophie never did any of those things ever happen. My so, my shows would sell out. I always had great sound. It was always wonderful, but my brain would keep on telling me, oh, you, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. So I was asked to do the music and I went there as a songwriter to perform and entertain at the end of the night over dinner. And in return, they would let me attend the retreats all weekend. Well, I soon realized that I was a mess and that I was probably there was a good reason they'd asked me to come and do the music because I needed a lot of therapy (laughs) and just to be around women in a safe place that was the first time I'd learned about being vulnerable Mm -hmm. you know and we did all these exercises where you had to throw your hat in the ring and you had to stand in the middle in front of all these women and you had to tell them something that you'd never told anyone before something that you'd carried all these years that you thought you were ashamed of or anything. Like it was just letting it go, releasing it, moving forward and realising that by doing that, you're actually helping other women mm-hmm. because other women were going, oh, my God, I'm not the only one who thinks I'm a freak. I thought I was a freak. I really thought it was me that, oh, all can feel like this. I about imposter syndrome. I just thought I thought that I was trying to fake it all the time, fake it. Now I know there's a name for that, imposter syndrome, and it's that little voice in your head. You just have to switch it off and say, oh, shut up, go away. I'm not into (laughs) stuff. I'm an artist. I am. That is who I've been since I was 16 years old when I started writing songs. So I started singing them my songs, being vulnerable, and singing them the songs that I had written to myself And never thought I'd share with anyone. There were songs there that were too raw. There were songs that didn't go on the album, Sophie, that were too painful and too raw. Well, I just let them all out. And once I did that, they started going, "Joe, these are your best songs. These are the songs that we love. And I'm like, yeah, but they're so depressing and they're horrible. They're like, but, but. But we connect with them and they they make us feel something and we love these songs. Anyway, Special was one of those songs. Okay, right. now, I'd never played Special to anyone. And these friends of mine said, "Joe, you have to record Special. And I was like, oh, I, don't, I don't know about that. And it took me a while to be able to see it for what it was, a moment in time. It's not my life. It's a moment in time. And you know so many people love that song and if it wasn't for their encouragement teaching me to be vulnerable teaching me to find my authentic authenticity Mm. and to put that into my music that the album wouldn't be what it was and interesting enough because I know you've listened to the album those two women are my friends the lesbians (laughs) right yeah (laughs) But then that all came out in the process. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and they're like, "You got to record that song," and I'm like, "Are you sure?" They're like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> "Well, there you go. Art feeding art. I think is the way that goes." <laughs> but I'm interested in you saying that there were songs you played at that retreat that were too raw and they didn't go on the album. So, I mean. It's And I can understand why you might think some things are just to be kept for you, but is there part of you that thinks at a certain point maybe they should be released to the world?
1: I think they'll get out there one day. Yeah. I think they'll get out there one day, Sophie, but, you know, for uh, the best interests of, you know, people that may be hurt.
2: Yeah. By but... knowing,
1: you know, like our, I have got an amazing husband. He is, you know, Obviously, that's why I'm with him because he's amazing. But our road is probably similar to most other couples. It's been up and down and it's been rocky, you know, and you don't, I mean, there's really no perfect, is it? And so many marriages don't last these days because people just go, oh, it's too hard. It's just, I can't do it. I could never leave my marriage. I'm a very loyal person by nature and I could never leave my children. I just am so um loyalty and keeping a family together was just important to me Mm -hmm. I was from a broken family I had a lot of trauma in my life as a child and I just wanted to I just wanted to keep my family together but there was a lot of trouble earlier on in our marriage we both drank a lot and I don't drink anymore but um, my husband's still quite a quite a heavy drinker but in the early days It was a lot of alcohol and you can just imagine, you know, you put that in any relationship and there's always going to be some good fires to put out yeah, and some terrible songs that get written to express, you know, things that happen around alcohol. But, again, I've lived it. I actually lived with an alcoholic mother, so my mum was (laughs) and then I married a guy that drank a lot. So whatever reason that was, again, I had to trust the journey and, you know... um, (laughs) <laughs> that yeah they were there were some very tough years but i probably wouldn't be the health nut that i am now had it not been through living with all of that like it's probably inspired me most to go on my journey Another thing I'm passionate about outside music is I'm a real foodie, but I'm a plant-based foodie and I'm a real health nut. And I really, you know, I would say I don't drink, but lately, you know, I might have a little drink for a celebration or something. But, you know, and had that not all been in my life, I probably wouldn't have gotten to where I am now. So you just, yeah, sometimes sometimes you have to trust the journey. Mm -hmm.
0: But I also think part of what you're talking about being a health nut is uh tied up with the spiritual practice of creativity which is your body and mind being the one organism for the lack of a better term which is not a concept that in in Western Cartesian thought uh, is is easy to grapple with because we're, we're so trained to think that the brain is separate the intellect is separate to the body but uh in taking care of the vessel you are also taking care of the creativity I think
1: I would have I I don't as a songwriter, as an artist, as a creative and as an empath, mm-hmm. I don't think I'd survive in today's world if I didn't have my practice.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's something that I'm actually so passionate about, passionate about. Maybe down the track it's something that I could share with other artists and other young people. Maybe there'd be a little segment for me at Academy to go and chat to young people to say, you know, if you're going to be a muso and you're going to live your life on the road and you're travelling all the time and you want to be your best all the time, you have to fuel the vessel. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, like, when we're young and we don't realise this yet, there's so much alcohol around, you know, performance and performers you know, you go to a gig and there's your rider and what do you want and everyone's drinking. But there's nobody who performs their best when they're drunk. You might think you do. You might think, oh, that was a great show. But the next day when you watch the video back and you're like, oh, my God, how embarrassing. I never would have said that if I was, oh, my God, and I'm thinking I sound really good but I'm singing too loud, I'm shouting, I'm pitchy, oh, my God. There's no way you perform your best when you're drinking. If you want to perform your best all the time, you just have to be your best, mind, body, spirit. It's all three. And, like, in my life I've learned, you know, You have to put good fuel in the body, no junk, processed stuff that we're not designed to eat. You have to move every day. You have to exercise every day, whether it's like for me, I I do yoga every day. I'm not a real gym junkie, but I'll go for a walk or I'll do my yoga. And you have to meditate every day, even if it's only 10 minutes, but just to, you know, because if, if you don't in this world, more and more every day. And your levels, your stress levels just go up and up and up and up. And if you never control that and if you never ground, if you never meditate, what's at the top? yeah A great mental breakdown. I can't do this anymore. And you see it happening all the time. I can't handle this. I can't do this. I get, it's just too much. Even, you know, at academy you see the kids kids I say kids but they're all you know 18, 19 20 and they go hard and they're late every night and they're drinking and partying which I was definitely doing at their age so I'm not putting anything I'm not I'm not saying anything bad about them it was exactly me but you know get to the last week of academy and they're all in tears. Right. Because they're just all burnout you know and there's there's that there is that room for people to learn just how to keep yourself going, you know, not, don't, don't, Um, yeah. If you want to be a successful artist, I think it starts with being present, being sober and being well, you'll write better songs, you'll perform better, your energy levels go up, you'll be able to do more and you will achieve greater success.
0: Yeah. Because it is about the work in the end and, uh, you know, f- because you want to put out your best creative work and all those practices you're talking about clear out the dross, essentially, whether it's so much imagery that our brains are getting and that's where meditation can help, um, whether it's just, yes, feeling the best so that you can perform the best or write the best. But I think it's also what I detect on your album is this through line and, and and I did suspect you had a spiritual practice because what I was hearing was this, this sort of, not even a through line, but just this layer of something that was in there. And I thought Jo has trusted herself to come to the right place, not just with the individual songs, but the way the songs were assembled on the album. And that is only something you can do when you are practised at clearing out all the muck that can actually be in your way to get to the work that you want to do.
1: Well, thank you. That is a great compliment and probably the greatest compliment I've had. So thank you. I really appreciate that. That that means a lot, Sophie. Yeah, it's been quite a process getting there and I've had to work really hard to get there. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Thank you oh, yeah.
0: Nelson. <laughs> You're yeah. very welcome. And it's just that it's part of what's the, I don't want to say the woo-woo part, part of, of creativity or whatever, but it's, it's <laughs> just in listening to music, I guess, because music can operate on so many levels. It's for me as a listener, it's thinking... Is just detecting that something going on there. Sometimes I can't quite name it, but I certainly heard it because at a certain point of listening to your album, when I'm first listening to an album, it's like, all right, well, right, let's listen to the songs and then think of, yeah, you know, what are the lyrics, what's going on, but then listening to it, to the songs collectively. It's like, all right, there's there's intention here, but it's not an overworked intention. So it's not it's not like oh let's let's shoehorn a theme in here and have all these songs along the same line because the songs are not all about the same thing on your album. Um they're about components of a life. But again, that was not necessarily just the theme. It was like oh, it's not it's not oh, let's put together parts of a life. There was something else going on which I think for me was this this bigger groundswell of what is the meaning of all of this you know what is the what is the what gives meaning to my life what can i share with you as the audience that might give meaning to yours yeah. and that is uh again hard to articulate i probably i don't think i'm exactly articulating it but there was just that feeling of listening to it that like this is a really big connection that you are willing to make with an audience
1: yeah well thank you um <clears throat> i did have I did have a lot of songs to choose from um, to go on the album and it was hard to choose yeah I didn't really ever set out to like you said do a theme or anything like that it was just like right the ethos of the album came about really when I wrote the last song just before I got to the studio, which was an accidental song called High on Heartstrings. That that was the last song that I wrote. It wasn't even in pre-production or anything. I just kind of, it just kind of fell out of the sky before I got there. And um, I sort of thought that's the ethos of the entire album. I want people to, I want people to go on the journey that I've gone on I want people to learn to love themselves and listen to their heart and trust themselves and back themselves and do what they love in life. Because I spent so many of my, well, my all my years up until I was 40, I spent them people pleasing and pleasing other people. And all it ever really made me, I always felt like a good girl, like a good daughter and a good wife and a good mother. I've, but it didn't It didn't light my fire and it didn't feed my soul, you know. Saying, having a say, writing those songs was probably my biggest achievement because I had my say. And a lot of the time outside of my music, I'm not allowed to have my say. Right. As a woman. Yeah. In life. Ask a lot of women. Hmm. From the first job I had when I did journalism and I went to the ABC, you know, and that was a while, that was a long time ago. That would have been, uh, you know, probably nearly 30 years ago. But they said, you're a woman, you're pretty, you've got blonde hair, no one's going to take you seriously. No one's going to listen to you. Right. You're going to have to work 50 times harder than any male to be taken seriously that's what we were taught we were taught that it was a man's world and to take us seriously you know and there was a lot of themes of that in my life in the industries that I worked in um you know and being in real estate I did real estate for years and you know and even in hospitality men um you know women can really be uh There's a lot that I put up with that women these days wouldn't put up with. Put it that way. Yeah. There's a lot that I put up with that women in today's world just would go not, not on. So it's good. It's good that things have changed. But even in my family situation, in a family of kind of men of older beliefs, you know, the cattle farmers and the mechanics and the men of my life, they have old beliefs and it sometimes it's been hard for me to have a say but let me write a song and I'm going to tell you how it is So that's been very liberating for me um and yeah so there was no theme as to what songs would make the cut the songs that made the cut were songs that I felt would be as significant and as important today as they will be in 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or 40 years. I wanted every song to have a good message.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, It's interesting what you're saying about uh, being able to say things in song that you you couldn't say in life because good girl syndrome could have actually limited you as a songwriter as well. They could have Uh, made you censor yourself quite a bit.
1: And it did. And it did for my... It did for my last few albums. Hi. It really did. I was the good girl syndrome, so I wanted to write the nice song for my dad, a nice song for my mum, a nice song for my husband, a nice song for my children. And I was always pleasing, you know, trying to be that good person. But um oh, there's been some very tricky um times in my life. And um if we don't talk about these times Mm. then people feel alone and lonely and like you know they struggle because they don't know that it's normal that the tough times are normal yeah yeah (laughs) life bumps you know they go up and down and I'm gonna write songs about the good times I'm gonna write songs about the bad times and everything in between
0: And part of the beauty of the work you do is that it can help people through their own tough times. And I'm sure I've been wondering actually if there are particular songs you've had feedback on either through social media or when you perform them live that uh, like the same songs over and over again that people come up and say, I really needed that, or that was just for me.
1: Yeah, there's, um, yeah, definitely. High on Heartstrings has hit a nerve with a lot of women. And a lot of women in my age group have just loved that and said, thank you, I've just got that on repeat. That, mean, that song means so much to me because we are. We're all trying to, you know, um, find ourselves after going through the rearing of children in, in that time, you know, we lose ourselves. Women lose themselves in those good 10, 15 years. We kind of give everything up for the kids a lot of us do anyway so i found that's resonated with you know a lot of mothers um a lot of people love houseless never homeless and that's just really me telling my grandparent my grandmother's story mm-hmm. but it's resonated with a lot of people just that um lonesome feeling of you know you may not have um you may not have a house but with even if it's not family even if it's friends you've always got a home you know mm-hmm. that feeling of being connected and being loved that's so important in everybody's life
2: mm-hmm. so
1: that's resonated and um so yeah specials are real special is a special song for me and it's it's hit a nerve with a lot of men and women um i think women realizing that they need to stand up for themselves and say hey I'm special, you know, which is which is something I couldn't even say for many years, you know, having such low self-worth. I couldn't even say, hey, I'm special, I'm worthy, mm-hmm. I should be loved. Like that just didn't even exist in my old world. So that's hit a nerve with a lot of women and men. And, and men have said, you know, I listened to that song and I thought, am I treating my wife? Well enough. Am I treating my daughter well enough? Am I letting them know that they're special Mm -hmm. and that I love them? Hmm. I could probably do that better. So that was really nice. And of course, I get a lot of feedback on my friend the lesbian song, right? Because everyone seems to know someone who's got that story. Yeah, right. (laughs) Everyone seems to know someone who, you know, was married with children and just went, "This is not me." Right. It's um, and and I think that, you know, the radio stations have been very supportive of that and playing that song as well. And I think it's because, um, you know, we're just working hard to um, release that sort of stigma and accept people for, for who they are and that love is love. So I think that's a really important message Um and I haven't released it as a single yet. So I think a lot of people are still to hear this song. But I did get a beautiful message um, from a lady who was at a show the other day who I'd sung The Stolen Generation. And she just said, thank you. That was beautiful. My my grandmother was a stolen child. And, you know, we've all got trauma and we've all got a story to tell. And, you know, thank you for writing that song. Right. So. So, yeah, I I do. I think there's a lot of songs in there that people connect with.
0: Hmm. I'm sure there are because you've you've set it up so they can and also so that they can connect with you back to tell you what's going on.
1: Yeah, and, you know, and and who who hasn't raised a teenager
0: and wanted to go to the boozer? Well, I was actually about to say. I'm surprised more people haven't spoken to you about that song because that's really... Hilarious. Everyone has
1: spoken to me about that song. Everybody loves that song. They're like, yeah, that's that's a fun song. I do like to make fun songs. I've probably only got really that one song on the album that's a bit cheeky and fun. I usually put a few more than that, but, um, yeah, yeah. My last album has a lot of cheeky and fun songs. I like that aspect. I've been greatly inspired by John Prine. I love his writing. So, yeah, if you listen to Baby Don't You Love Me, No More from my last album, that's a very cheeky song.
0: Well, Jo, I could probably keep you talking for hours, but I am very sure you have other things to do. Um, and I would love people to go and now listen to your album if they haven't heard it already. So, uh, so they can enjoy it as much as I have loved it. So the album is High on Heartstrings, Joe Casely. What a pleasure it has been to talk to you.
1: Thank you, Sophie. Thank you so much. I've I've absolutely enjoyed speaking with you and, um, yeah, can't wait to meet you. Maybe in Tamworth.
0: Maybe, yes. I'll see you
1: there. Okay. <laughs> Thank Bye. you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Sunburnt Country Music Podcast. For more Australian country music interviews and reviews and other things, go to sunburntcountrymusic.com or to Sunburnt Country Music on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok.